Uh, there is a word today from the Lord. Let's turn in our Bibles to um, the first book of the law, the first book of the Pentateuch, the first book of the Bible. If you have any trouble finding it, we need to visit after church the book of Genesis. The book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me as we read together uh, Genesis 1, I'm sorry, Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Reading from the ESV version of the Bible, it reads as follows. Now the serpent was more crafty than, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, but God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You may be seated. As we continue kind of talking through the attributes of God uh, from this familiar passage in Genesis chapter 3, today I'd like to talk about God's graciousness. God's graciousness. Um, God is a gracious God. Uh, here's what I want to do. I want to I share with you some events from history. Because history, history surely has seen its share of utter devastation and sheer tragedy. I'm going to share with you uh, a list of events, some lowlights from history. It's certainly not a comprehensive list. I've simply chosen some events that you'll probably be familiar with. Some you may not be, but just remember there, are, there have been a lot of other devastating events throughout history. This is only a small snippet of them. We can look, first of all, at the flood and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which is uh, recorded right here in the book of Genesis. Chapter 6 and 19, we find the history of those devastating events. And from there, we can move on to the first century, which brought us the beginning of the Crusades, where thousands lost their lives and Christianity received a black eye for being the aggressor in an all-out campaign to regain power and take back Jerusalem from the Muslims. From there, we can fast forward to the birth of this very nation, the land of the free and the home of the brave. It was the 1700s and slavery was the order of the day. Many were oppressed, beaten, tortured, killed, families torn apart and devastated by those who saw one race of people as inferior and subhuman. 
It was Condoleezza Rice who said that slavery was America's or is America's birth defect. From there, we can fast forward to the late 1920s through the 1930s, which brought us the great stock market crash of 1929. It was on October 29, 1929, uh, better known as Black Tuesday, that the stock market crashed. Following that, we had what is now known as the Great Depression. During that time, uh, the entire world was affected. Not only was it uh, an impact here in the United States, but the entire world was impacted by the Great Depression. Unemployment here in the United States reached 33% in some places. People began to resort to desperate measures like robbing banks. It gave way, though, to the rise of, in the world, people like Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party in Germany, which ushered in another time of utter destruction and devastation, World War II and the Holocaust. From 1933 to 1945, it was the systematic and bureaucratic state-sponsored persecution and murder of approximately six million Jews by the Nazi regime. From there, we can move to November the 22nd, 1963. In Dallas, Texas, it was on this day that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Utter devastation. From there, we can move just three years in the future to April the 4th, 1968, when at the young age of 39, Dr. Martin Luther King, one of the brightest leaders this world has ever known, was gunned down on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. From there, we can move on to November the 18th, 1978, the day, the date of the largest mass suicide modern history has ever seen, when 918 men, women, and children were led to drink a cyanide-laced concoction by an evil so-called preacher named Jim Jones in Jonestown, Guyana. From there, we can move to 1981, which is the year that the Centers for Disease Control first recognized the AIDS virus, which will go on to become an epidemic and then a pandemic. In 2009, the World Health Organization estimated that there were 33 million deaths, deaths, or 33 million rather people had, that had been infected, and 2 million deaths annually from this virus. Over 25 million then had died as a result of this devastating virus. From there, we can fast forward to the mid-80s when a killer called crack cocaine was introduced in the inner cities of New York, L.A., and Miami. Uh, this highly addictive and inexpensive form of cocaine completely changed the game as we witnessed those addicted to the lethal, lethal drug stoop to all-time lows in an effort to obtain and maintain that elusive and short-lived high. From there, we can move on to September the 11th. 2001, when terrorists hijacked planes and flew them into the World Trade Center towers. 
and also into the Pentagon. 3,000 people lost their lives. Over 6,000 people were injured during this devastating event, changing forever the way this country and the world, how things operated. Then which brings us then to today, and you can even look around today and find utter devastation all around us today in this nation, mass shootings have no longer, are, are no longer the exception, but they have now become the norm. And it's almost as if we turn on the TV every day expecting to hear of another mass shooting. We've been desensitized to this devastation. We have in the history of this world witnessed some very severe and utter devastation. There is no doubt that history has surely seen destruction and despair. It's terrible, though, as all of the aforementioned events were. They all were precipitated by and were a direct result of the most tragic event in the history of all of creation, the fall of man. As a matter of fact, had this tragedy that I've just read for you in Genesis chapter 3 never happened, uh, the others would have never ensued. What happened in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 laid the foundation for everything and, and some other things that I just read to you. It was, it was the introduction. It was not the introduction, but it was the birth of bad. Because up to that point, everything, the Bible says, was good. Bible, Bible says that God took seven days to create everything, and he looked out on everything, and he said to himself, uh, it's good. Everything he created, that, there was no such thing as bad. But then we arrive at Genesis chapter 3, and we find the birth of what would be Bad. We, we, we get the account of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 7. We're going to spend most of our time in the, in the uh, verses following that. But in verses 1 through 7, we get the fall. And what happens in the fall is that humanity uh, that is or within Adam and Eve falls for then and for all of eternity. Humanity suffers as a result of pride, of disobedience, of arrogance, and of all those things. You know it was more, more going on than just eating a piece of fruit. It was the idea, it was uh, what was in the minds of those that ate the fruit. Uh, it was their desire to be like God or to be God. It was the same thing that caused Satan himself to fall from heaven in Isaiah chapter 14, you know the, the account of that's there where he is kicked out of heaven because of his arrogance, his pride, and wanting to ascend to the level of God. And he, knowing that it worked on him, used it on Adam and, yes, on Eve, yes, and Adam. And we find that the fall happens, Genesis chapter 3. God says, you can have everything you want, but there's just one thing that you can't have. And all of us know that most of the time when we're told something like that, it's that one thing that tempts us. 
curiosity, they say, killed the cat. And curiosity in Adam and Eve, uh, in some regards, killed all of us. Because all of us died on that day. Uh, there's good news later, but all of us died on that day. In, in Adam and Eve and what they did. We have the fall that happens there. Uh, as devastating as the fall was, everything about it was not bad and, and was not tragic. For through the fall came the introduction of grace. Contrary to what you might believe, grace is not strictly a New Testament concept. We often think of the Old Testament as the book of the law and the New Testament as the book of grace. But as we will see, the Old Testament actually begins with an introduction and expression of God's grace. Grace, as you know, is defined in some ways as God's unmerited favor. It was A.W. Tozer that wrote about this when he says, as, as, uh, as mercy is God's goodness confronting human misery and guilt, so grace is his goodness directed toward human debt and demerit. It is by his grace, Tozer says, that God uh, imputes merit where none previously existed and declares no debt to be where one had been before. God's grace wipes it all clean for us. How God reacts to what happens in verses 1 through 7 reveals to us exemplifies in him and introduces to us his grace. It is in how he reacts, the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God. How does he react to what happens in verses 1 through 7? Well, the record of God's reaction is found in verses 8 through 21. It's a record of how God responds to what Adam and Eve does in verses 1 through 7. And I see in verses 8 through 21 a minimum of at least five evidences of God's grace. It's right there in those verses we see God's grace exemplified. God's grace. Let's look at it. Verse 1, we see the first evidence in verse 1. Verse 1, uh, we see in this, I'm sorry, not in verse 1, in verse 8, we see the first evidence of God's grace. Let's read verse 8. I want to read it to you. It says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Here's a good evidence of God's grace. When you have fallen, when you have disobeyed, not just you, when we, I can put myself in there too, because this fits all of us. When we have fallen, when we have been blatantly disobedient to God and disregarded everything that he said was good for us, 
We've thumbed our nose at him. We have turned our backs on him. And then, out of grace, Sister Martha, he comes to us. Uh, The record is that obviously God and Adam had this relationship, this fellowship that had continued since God completed uh, creating him. As we look at this, it looks like they had a fellowship where they met in the garden every day. They had, they, they, this wasn't anything new. And so, 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 so what's so strange, though, is that Adam blatantly disobeys God and God continues his fellowship with Adam and with Eve. Here's what's so special about how God operates when we do that. So if it was me and you did me like that, I don't know if I'd show up the next day. I don't know if I, I don't know if I would, I would make it to our appointment the next day. I don't know because I, my feelings would be hurt. I, I would be angry because of how you treated me. But we serve a God who is gracious. And the first thing I see that gives me proof that we serve a gracious God is that God did. He comes to them, and I don't know about you, but I have been in some places to where I prayed with all of my heart that God would show up. And watch this. Some of the places I've been in were not pleasant, and I was in those places because of my own actions. Somebody here should have said amen because you've been in some unpleasant places yourself as a result of your own actions. And watch this. God could have easily said, I'm not showing up. I told you what to do, what not to do, and you did it anyway. You're on your own now. But we serve a God who's gracious. And he shows up no matter what. And so that's one thing that I see that that gives us evidence of God's grace. The other thing is this. He not only comes to them, but when he comes, he does something. It's in verses 9 and 10. When he shows up, he doesn't just show up. He doesn't just show up to say, I told you so. He doesn't just show up to say, didn't I tell you? He doesn't just show up to do what we would do if we decided to show up. He shows up and he does something. Verses 9 and 10 say this, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? So he calls them, right? Interesting thing is that he says to them, where are you? The call of God is what we have all hopefully have experienced, God's call. Because scripture reminds us uh, in John 6, 44, that no man can come to me, God says, except the Father draw him. The call of God is what we all desire. The call of God is what allows us uh, to be a part of his family. The call of God is something that uh, we all have a desire for. And God shows up, and when he shows up, he calls them and says to Adam, calls Adam and says, where are you? This was a question not related to Adam's physical location. Obviously, Adam knew physically where he was. God was challenging him and questioning him, where are you spiritually? 
But the simple fact that he calls him says to Adam and should say to us that we have an opportunity to experience the grace of God. He says, I've not forgotten you. I'm still inviting you to be a part of my family. He calls him, calls them. It's, it, it's, it's his grace. But not only does he call them, when he comes, he calls them, and then when he gets there and calls them, in verse 10 he says, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I, because I was naked and I hid myself. That was Adam's response, right? And he kind of tells on himself, although God is omniscient and he knows everything, uh, he tells on himself before God has a chance to ask him anything else. He gives it away. He says, I heard sound. I was afraid. Well, what were you afraid of and why did you hide yourself? But look at, look at what God does in verse 11. This is the other thing he does. Not only does he come and call, in verse 11, he challenges. He challenges. He says to them in verse 11, to him, he said, who told you? that you were naked. Here's an opportunity for you to come clean, right? Who told you? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? An opportunity to come clean. Here's what grace does. Grace challenges, right? Love challenges. And God's love for us just like a parent's love for a child will challenge that child in their area of deficiency or their place, the place that they've fallen. And God says, have you done what I told you not to do? Gives them a chance, right, to come clean. And so he challenges them. He, God already knew what they had done. He was looking for confession. That's what he does when he challenges us. He's given us an opportunity to confess and repent. It is grace that challenges us in our lifestyle. Uh, thank God that he doesn't just let us slide with things. That's not love. Love challenges, and that's what God does. He gives them a chance to come clean because of his grace. Then we move on to verses 14 through 20. We'll spend a little time here because in 14 through 20, we find out that after he challenges them, after he challenges them, he, he chastises them. He chastens them. And so what happens in 14 through 20, God issues the various punishments to the sinners after they have sinned. Uh, although these punishments are harsh, it was gracious because he could have, if he so desired, he could have killed them. But rather than killing them, God lovingly chastens them, and he does the same for us. He chastens us uh, uh, to call our attention away from the pleasure of sin so that we might see the reality of what we have done. Uh, the reality is that sin is an ugly thing. 
uh, defiling and a brutal thing. God chastens us, and it, it's not pleasant, but it is necessary. In fact, it's ne- the scripture reminds us in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, says that, My son, despise not thou chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And so how does he do it? How does he punish them? Well, let's look at it. He begins to issue the punishments for what has happened in 1 through 7. So he does this. He says first to the serpent. He says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, in 15, he says, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is what's known as the first gospel. It is the first look forward to what Jesus will do. It is uh, the ultimate punishment that will befall Satan, Uh, Satan will be crushed. His head will be cut off. God looks forward to this uh, day that Jesus will be victorious because the seed of the woman, of course, we know will be Jesus. And he says, yes, you'll bruise him, but you won't kill him. Or you may kill him, but he won't stay dead. And all of us know the story because Isaiah reminds us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed because we know that he rose from the dead. He was not killed and stayed dead. He got up from the grave, and so what God says in Genesis 3.15 does come true. He bruises him, but he does not kill him. But he says that the son, the seed of the woman will destroy you. It's going to happen. It, It was punishment. But then he goes on. And, and, and after that, he says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. I heard the women moan a little bit right there. There's a reason why it didn't have to be painful, but there, there's a reason why it is. He says, I will multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, I'm going to speed on by that one. And he shall rule over you, I'm going to speed on by that one too. But it is in the Bible. <laughs> uh, so that's the, he, he, he issues rip the punishments to the serpent and then to Eve. And then he gets around to the one who he made the agreement with. The one who he fellowshiped with every day. The one who he gave instructions to. The one who was to lead his family to do the right thing. He gives punishment to him. So watch this. Everybody that got excited about what God just said to Adam, all, uh, to Eve, all you brothers who were like, yeah, I, yeah, God said that, 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 yeah. Well, now's our turn, right? Because where much is given, much is required. And it's good to have authority. It's good to have, but with all of the authority, with all of the response, goes responsibility, Right? And so he says to Adam, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, rather than, now we're not going to emphasize that, but rather than listening to me, 
That could have been anybody. It just, so, so don't be tell brothers. Don't be telling you, your wife, you know. See what happened the last time, husband, the first time, rather, the husband listened to the wife. You see where it got us? Don't be doing that. Because that could have been anybody. It didn't just have to. It could have been, watch this, God says, because you listen to anybody rather than me. Eve just happened to be the only one there, right? And she was the one who messed the who, who, well, I better not say that. <laughs> I'm getting in trouble, Jeff. Can you bail me out? <laughs> it could have been anybody but God. And God says to us today, don't listen, don't obey anyone else but me because I have given you everything that pertains to life and godliness and the only one that you should obey is me. It's not that everybody else does not have good intentions or some other people don't have good intentions, but God knows what's best. And because Adam chose to listen to Eve rather than God, this is what he says to Adam. I, uh, and you have eaten the tree. I commanded you not to eat. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plant of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. He seems to spend a lot of time dealing with Adam because Adam had the responsibility. And so chastisement is not pleasant, but, but it's, it's necessary. And you know what God does it? The reason why he does it out of love for us because he wants to see us uh, successful and he wants to see us prosper, right? And he knows that if he doesn't address our shortcomings, if he just, that's the reason why it's not a good idea to do that as a parent. It's not a good idea to be your child's best friend. It's not a good idea to do that. I, I, I warn you not to, to, to do that. Don't, I mean, it's good to be friends and, and, and all that, but it's not a good idea to be like, so if your child is 14, it's not a good idea to try to be uh, your child's 14-year-old best friend and do things they do. And, you know, it's a good idea to be a parent. Sometimes being a parent is tough. Sometimes tough decisions. Sometimes you may hear along the way, I hate you. <laughs> Some of us have heard that. But you know what? I may have even said it when I was growing up. But then I look back now and think about what happened in those days? And I, rem I, I realized that it was only done for my good and my benefit. I remember the times when the strap was pulled out. Anybody remember the strap? Okay, let me see if I can come down your street. What about the, the broom? What about the switch? Watch this. Not just the switch, but what about the switch that when they went out to the tree, they got two or three switches, and y'all help me finish this, braided them together? What about that? What about the extension cord? <laughs> some of y'all are like, what kind of childhood did you have? And some of y'all are like, I remember that. 
right? It, did, it, it wasn't pleasant. Somebody said, water hose, Lord have mercy. If, if we did today, <laughs> well, some of our parents and grandparents did back when we were growing up, we'd all be arrested. But as we look around and look back, we realize that we all turned out okay. We probably had some, some, some detours and some falls along the way. But it was because of chastisement, whatever that looked like. Maybe your chastisement was time out. I ain't never hear a time out when I was growing up. I didn't know nothing about no time out. <laughs> I never heard of it before until, you know, recent time. It was out of love. And so God punishes, God chastens out of love. And so he does that. He chases he confronts them. He challenges them. He comes to them. He calls them. Uh, he does all these things. But my favorite one is left for last. It's in verse 21. Because it's in verse 21 that what God does there is he covers them. In verse 21. Because watch this. Watch what verse 21 says. And the Lord God came. God, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothe them. He covers them. They have fallen. They have disappointed God. They have really earned what God said they would get, and that's death. But rather than kill them, he covers them. Their sin became real when that innocent animal who had done nothing wrong died a substitutionary death to cover their nakedness. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Let me read it again. The innocent animal who had done nothing wrong died a substitutionary death to cover their nakedness. It was the grace of God that accepted the sacrifice of an innocent party to atone for the sins of the guilty. Reminds me of what Jesus did. Salvation is free, but it's certainly not cheap. It costs something. It costs the very blood of Jesus. It was obtained by the awful death that Christ faced on the cross on behalf of sinners. It, it, it was a display of God's grace in action. God's grace in action. I'm, I'm reminded uh, of a song written. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to tell you about it. Sister Martha, she's going to keep messing with me. <laughs> I'm reminded of a song written in 1779 by a former slave trader by the name of John Newton. You, you're familiar with this song. It says these words, says the following words, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Skip down to the, to the third refrain. It says, the third verse, it says, through many dangers, toils and snares. I have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far. 
and grace will lead us home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. When we've been here 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise when we first begun. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved, somebody help me, a wretch like me. I don't know about you, but, but, but it fits me. I, I was a wretch. I once was lost, but, but now, thank God I'm found. I, I used to not be able to see, but thank God now I can see things clearer than what I, and it was all because of God's amazing, unmerited grace. We serve a gracious God. And he shows us that from the very beginning in Genesis. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this blessed day. Thank you, Lord, even.